He is able. Let's sing it together. This song is exactly what the message is about today. Especially that word more that you'll see repeated through the song. He is able more than able to accomplish what concerns me today. He is able more than able to handle anything that comes my way. He is able more than able to do much more than I could ever dream. He is able more than able to make me what He wants me to be. Sing it again. He is able more than able to accomplish what concerns me today. He is able more than able to handle anything that comes my way. He is able more than able to do much more than I could ever dream. He is able more than able to make me what He wants me to be. He is able. He is able more than able to do much more than I could ever dream. He is able more than able to make me what He wants me to be. To make me what He wants me to be. And make it a prayer. Lord, make me what you want me to be. And Lord, that is our prayer as we come now to your word that you would do more than we could even imagine. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. A.J. Gordon, a Baptist preacher from the 1800s, wrote these powerful words, There is more you can do after you pray 
But there's nothing more you can do until you pray. Today in our text, Matthew 7, 7 through 11, Jesus outlines for us the dynamic power of prayer. And the strong statement that is our outline this morning is really the core of this teaching in this section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And that statement is this, when we pray with increasing intensity, God responds with certainty because we are His well-loved children by faith. We're going to examine this teaching very closely this morning. And my prayer is that we'll learn to pray. Not just how to pray, that's important, but that we'll learn to pray. That was my prayer early this morning as I walked around this auditorium before anybody arrived. Lord, teach me to pray. That's what His disciples prayed, wasn't it? Lord, teach us to pray. Not the mechanics of it, but the passion of it. And then my prayer is that we'll be able to do more for God and for others through His answers to our prayers. So let's start with this statement, when we pray with increasing intensity. Look at verse 7 with me. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. I really believe Jesus here is teaching us three levels of praying. It starts with asking. It progresses to seeking. And then it moves to knocking. Those verbs, ask, seek, knock, are present imperatives in the original language. That simply means that they are ongoing verbs. These are things that we are to do ongoingly. We are to be the always asking people of God. The always seeking people of God. The always knocking people of God. Asking means that we're in the right place. We're at the throne of God to talk to the Creator Himself. Seeking means that we have the right passion. The right passion. It's more than just asking, it's seeking. And then knocking means that we have the necessary persistence. We keep knocking until the door opens. Asking is a child talking to his Heavenly Father about something he desires. God, this is what I need. This is what I desire. Seeking is searching for more. It's a deeper plea for insight. To know the mind of God. To know the will of God. To probe the Father's mind through His Word. Knocking then implies repeated tapping on the door. Longing to know God more intimately. Wanting to step inside and and have a wonderful communion and fellowship with the Lord. To have an audience with Him. And then to go back through the door out into the world and live the perfect will of God for our lives. So a couple of questions this morning that I think are appropriate. One is, why don't we ask, seek, and knock? Why don't we follow that progression of intensity? I think there are three things that can hinder us 
One is thinking that prayer doesn't really matter. It's a fatalistic view of life. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. What good does it do to pray? Some would say. And so they don't. There's also, secondly, a fear that we're not doing something quite right. We're not praying hard enough. We don't have enough intensity. We don't know how to gauge that intensity. Or we don't know if we're doing the right formula. You know, am I supposed to be on my knees? Am I supposed to be next to my bed in the morning when I start my praying on my knees? Am I supposed to fold my hands? Am I supposed to close my eyes or can I leave them open? We have all those questions. And they're not just for kids to ask. So we fear that we're not doing something right. Or thirdly, we decide, and this is more often the case with us, and I'm speaking about myself as well, we decide we have so much to do and we've got to get at it. And so I don't have time to pray. So busy and so fretful about getting everything done. And some of those great old warriors of the faith, those great missionary prayer warriors, used to say things like, I have so much to do, I need to pray for three hours. Now who would do that today? Seriously. Think about it. This command, this invitation, is not to be understood as somehow pressuring God to finally give in and respond to us because we prayed again, or again, or again. Remember, it's God who issues the invitation, right? Jesus is saying to us, ask, seek, knock. God Himself. And He's the one who wants us, invites us to come boldly before His throne. There's a wonderful verse in the book of Isaiah, chapter 26, verse 9. It says, At night my soul longs for Thee. Indeed, my spirit within me seeks Thee diligently. Oh, if we only had that kind of passion. We wouldn't have a lot of questions about prayer. But here's another question. The question is, should it be something that I even pray about? Can I pray about this? You see, there are some things we don't need to pray about because we know what God wants. Right? But sometimes we don't want to do it. We want to do our thing. So this kind of person says something like this, Lord, all I ask is that you bite your tongue and not say or do anything that will knock me away from my plans, that will spoil my plans. Let me enjoy myself just this once. Now, we don't say those exact words, but that's what we mean. Here's another question. Why don't I get everything I need? Why don't I get everything I want or think I need? I believe that James chapter 4 in the opening three verses answers that for us. First of all, either it's because we don't even ask, you have not because you ask not, or it's because we ask flippantly so that we can 
as the text says in the King James, consume it upon our lusts. Bagley translation, I want what I want when I want it. And I don't care what God wants. When Jesus gave us His model prayer in chapter 6, remember that? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. When He gave us that prayer, He didn't expect us to pray like this. But without these exact words, this is how we sometimes pray. Your kingdom come, Lord, only don't expect me to advance it. Your will be done, but by the way, I plan on living like I want, as I please. Forgive me of my sins, but I'm not going to give up that grudge that I'm holding against my brother. Don't lead me into temptation, unless, of course, it's something that I really would enjoy. The kind of prayer Jesus is talking about in this sermon is described often in the New Testament. 1 Peter 4, 7 calls it watching under prayer. Romans 15, verse 30 calls it striving in prayer. Paul in Colossians 4, verse 12 calls it laboring in prayer, like a woman laboring to deliver a baby. Ephesians 6, verses 12 and 18, twice in that chapter, Paul refers to it as wrestling in prayer. Let me go over those words again. Watching, striving, laboring, wrestling. Those are strong words. They imply what? Intensity. Intensity. When we pray with increasing intensity. Jesus Himself illustrated this kind of intense praying, this kind of persistent knocking when He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane before He went to the cross. His disciples were there too, three of them. They couldn't stay awake. But Jesus kept praying. And twice in the Garden of Gethsemane, He prayed the same prayer. He said, Lord, if it is possible, let this cup pass from Me. But He also prayed, Not My will, Thine be done. And that demonstrates to me that it's best for us to pray the hardest when it's hardest to pray. To really get down to business in prayer. Here's another question. What do I need to think through in order to pray the way Jesus is talking about here? And to get the answers that He promises will come to those who ask, seek, and knock. Well, first of all, according to Scripture, 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, I must pray in line with God's will. Here's what the passage says. This is the confidence that we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And we know that if He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we have asked from Him. So my praying has to be in line with the will of God. I can't pray, for example, God... uh, Uh, Give me a great time out tonight with somebody other than my marriage partner. Can't pray like that. That's not in line with God's will. There are things we know are God's will and we need to do those things and pray that way. 
So it's very important to pray in the will of God. But we also must pray in faith. We must pray believing that we have, not maybe someday we'll have, what we have, what we've asked for. Mark chapter 11, verse 24, Jesus is speaking, Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they shall be granted to you. Did you see that? Did you hear those words? Pray that, uh, understand that you have received them already. That's praying in faith. If you want to know what the opposite of that looks like, I have a good biblical illustration for you. I've always thought this was an interesting passage. Acts chapter 12. It's the account of Peter, the apostle, who was put in prison for preaching the gospel. But then an angel released him from prison in a miraculous way. He just walked right out the doors. And he went to the house of Mary where people were gathered praying for him. And Acts chapter 12, verse 5 says they were praying fervently for Peter. We don't know exactly what they were praying. Maybe that he would be released or that uh, if he had to end up being executed, that he'd have courage. What, I, we don't know. But they were praying fervently for him. Then starting in verse 13 of Acts chapter 12, it tells us that Peter got to the house, knocked on the door. A servant girl named Rhoda came and opened the door, and she saw it was Peter. And instead of letting him in, she slammed the door and ran back inside to tell everybody, Peter's here! Peter's here. And you know what they said? You've got to be kidding me. It must be his ghost. So if they were praying for his release, they weren't praying in faith. They thought maybe he'd already died. If we're sincerely asking, seeking, and knocking for things like a greater hunger for him, for things like a deeper knowledge of His Word, for things like a comprehension of how His will would apply to my life each day that I live, or for a deeper walk with Him, or for our whole church family to be men and women and boys and girls of faith, God is not going to hesitate to answer that kind of praying. Paul prayed like that for his friends in Rome. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 1, verses 9-12. through 12. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of His Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers making request, if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you in order that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you, while along with you, each of us, by the other's faith, is increased or encouraged, yours and mine. Paul prayed like that for his brothers and sisters in the Lord. Let's encourage each other in our walk with God. And he prayed it fervently. But if we're going to pray like that for ourselves and for each other, we have to know that God is vitally interested in every detail of our lives. And God is not limited in any way to answer our deepest needs. So when we pray with increasing intensity, 
Secondly, God responds with certainty. Look at verse 8. Everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be opened. Well, what man is there among you when his son asks him for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he shall ask for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? The Jews had a saying back in those days. And it's a true saying. And yet it's very hard for us with our finite minds to comprehend this. The saying was, God, if all the world calls to Him at once, hears their cries. I've always wondered about that. I really have, since I was a little kid. I remember asking my dad different times. My dad was a spiritual man. I remember asking my dad different times, how can God hear everybody all at once? You ever wondered that? How does he do that? I don't know. But he does. God responds with certainty. Not only does he hear the prayers of his children, even all at once, but he gives us the certainty that he will answer those prayers. Six times in verses 7 and 8, Jesus makes it clear that God does answer our prayers. Ask, it will be given. Seek, you'll find. Knock, it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. Everyone who knocks, it will be opened. That's certainty. Certainty. Country music legend Garth Brooks used to sing a song part of which said, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. I know what Garth meant, because I like the song. But the reality is, God always answers prayer for those who pray with intensity. Always. The prayer may be answered with a no. That is an answer. Like the father who tells his little two-year-old son, you can't play with knives. You can't play with daddy's gun. He knows what's best for his son. So he says no. And God sometimes says no. Sometimes God says wait. He teaches us to trust Him while we're waiting until we're ready for what He has planned for us and it'll be good. Sometimes the answer is different from what we prayed. In other words, it's not a stone for bread. It's not a snake or an eel in place of a fish. Instead, it's like, I want you to grow through this present circumstance so that when you come through this, your spiritual life will take on new dimensions like you never dreamed. The Apostle Paul went through that. The Apostle Paul prayed, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, prayed three times for a thorn in the flesh to be taken away from him. We don't know exactly what that was. I personally believe that it was his poor eyesight. In the book of Galatians, he mentions how the Galatian Christians were willing to even give him their eyes if they could. And he was so thankful for their concern. That may be what his sword in the flesh was. I don't know. But he prayed three times that God would take it away, and God said no. Each of those three times. But God said to him instead, My strength is made perfect in weakness. 
And so Paul learned something from God's no. He learned, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He learned, most gladly will I glory in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest on me. He learned when I'm weak, that's when I'm really strong. Paul learned something through that process, even when God was saying no. I mentioned earlier that we need to ask, seek, and knock in line with God's will. There's another important qualifier to powerful, intense praying, and that is to pray in Jesus' name. John 14, verse 13, Whatever you ask in My name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And verse 14 adds, If you ask Me anything in My name, I will do it. So what does it mean to pray in His name? It means to pray with His authority. With His honor and glory in mind, not ours. It means to ask the Son who has connection, forever and direct connection, because He's God the Son, to ask Him as He goes to the Father. Remember, Jesus prays for us. Don't ever forget that. You say, Bill, where'd you get that? The Bible. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. It's a great verse. He, Jesus, is able to save forever those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to intercede for them. One of the reasons Jesus rose from the dead, one of the reasons, is so that He could be in heaven praying for you and me. Isn't that awesome? He intercedes for us. And concerning the Holy Spirit, He also prays for us. Romans chapter 8, verse 26, in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness. And this next phrase is so true, for we do not know how to pray as we should. I feel like that a lot. I don't know how to pray about certain things. I don't know how to word it. I don't know how to make it come across as part of my passion or concern. But even though we don't know how to pray as we should, the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So God the Son is praying for us. God the Holy Spirit is praying for us. The sinner, the person apart from Jesus Christ, who's only focused on the good life, doesn't recognize their need of the Savior, They may utter some words and say some prayers, but God isn't listening to them. John chapter 9, verse 31. We know that God does not hear sinners. That's what the Bible says. And yet, when the Holy Spirit begins to stir in the heart of a person to draw them to God by faith, and they begin to realize, I need a Savior. I need to trust Jesus as my Savior and Lord, then God does hear their prayer. Acts chapter 10 records the story of a man named Cornelius. He was an Italian guy. Glenn. (laughs) Uh, The the text in Acts chapter uh, 10 tells us that he uh, was praying 
and that an angel came to see him and said, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And then the angel sent him to the Apostle Peter for Peter to come back to Cornelius' house and explain the Gospel to him. And he was gloriously saved. So God, if we're praying in line with His will, will, if we're praying with faith believing, if we're praying in the power and authority of Jesus' name, will answer our prayers. He will not mock us for our prayers. He will never injure us with some ridiculous answer to what we have asked. The question is, why won't He? Why wouldn't He? The answer is clear. His character is at stake. God's character is the best assurance we have of answered prayer. If He is who He says He is, then He's going to answer prayer. He is the ever-loving, ever-giving Father. And He gives to those who are always asking, always seeking, always knocking. You've seen it before. Maybe it's happened in your home. A child comes to their dad and says, Dad, I, I want to do this, or I need that, or please do this for me. And the dad either doesn't want to take the time to deal with it, or he doesn't want the decision on his shoulders, so he says what? Go ask your mom. Go ask your mom. Could be the other way around, too. My point, though, is that God loves to make the decision. He doesn't say, go talk to somebody else. He wants to make the decision. And it will be the very best decision for us as His children. So finally, when we pray with increasing intensity, God responds with certainty because we are His well-loved children by faith. Verse 11, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father in Heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? By the way, according to that verse, God knows us pretty well, doesn't He? He says we are evil. That is, we're born in this world as sinners. That's our nature. But even as sinful people with sinful hearts, Real dads and real moms want to give their children the best that we possibly can. We want to do what we can for them so that they can grow up to be all that they can be. How much more, the text says, how much more does God want that for us? He's not a grudging God. We don't have to coerce Him into doing things. We don't have to pry His hands open to get what He's holding out to us. When our kids were little, uh, I had a little game I would play with them once in a while. I'd get some change from my pocket and I'd uh, hold it in my hand and I'd squeeze it real tight and then I'd say, you can have this if you can open my hand. So they would start prying away at one finger or another and they'd get part way and I'd pull it back. And after a while, I'd finally give in and let them have the change. They always liked that. In fact, they thought they'd finally pried my hands open, but I knew better. Now they could probably pry my hands open. I'm getting too weak. 
But God isn't like that. God's not holding on to this saying, go ahead and try to pry my hand open. He's a giving God. He loves to give. He's not playing games with us. He gives us His very best, like giving us His Son on the cross to be our Savior. Listen to Romans 8, verse 32. It's a wonderful verse. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? It's a great verse, a great promise. He also gave us not only His Son, but He gave us the Holy Spirit. The moment we trusted Jesus as Savior, every Christian is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And He comes with a package deal for us. He brings the whole package to bless our lives and make us useful for the Master. In Luke chapter 11 is a similar account of what we're looking at here in Matthew 7. And in verse 13 of that passage it says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? In the original language, the phrase the Holy Spirit doesn't have the article the there. And it literally can be translated, He gives us Holy Spirit things. We already have the Holy Spirit, but it comes as a package. All of those gifts are ours in Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus simply wants us to be clear about who the Father is. We misjudge God if we think that He doesn't care about us or what we're going through. We misjudge God if we have this idea in our head that He can't help and that prayer is a waste of time. By the way, God is never embarrassed that He's out of stock with something. (laughs) He's got all of the universe at His disposal. We also misjudge God if we think He's too preoccupied with running His universe to be focused on my little problems. Through prayer, finite man draws on the infinite power of God. And that power of God is always enough for every need that God's people have. There's no shortage of anything with God. You've probably seen in the news lately all the reports about the coal mining industry and how coal companies are closing and laying off their workers all over Colorado, Illinois, all different places. Well, there's no shortage with God. I want to explain something very quickly um, that theologians talk about. I don't consider myself a theologian, but let me talk about two words. They're big words, but I'll explain them very quickly. Transcendence and imminence. When theologians talk about the transcendence of God, they mean that God is above His universe and that He is in total control of everything. He knows exactly what's going on, but He is above the fray. Think about that for a moment. God isn't all bent out of shape about what's going on in this election cycle. He isn't. 
You got it all under control. The transcendence of God. But theologians also talk about the imminence of God, meaning that God is very involved with your life and mine. Every one of His creatures, even the sparrows, He cares. He knows. He loves us. And let me add a, a quick word, if I may. When we're praying to God, especially because He is a transcendent God, we need to be careful not to be too off-the-cuff or flippant in referring to God. I'm talking about thinking of Him, for example, as the man upstairs. He's not the man upstairs. He is the God who created everything. The all-powerful God of the universe. So be careful. I'm not laying down a rule here. I'm giving you a reminder. Don't come to God starting your prayer with, Hey God. Think about this. We're talking about it in the context of fathers and their children, right? In the passage. If I'm a dad, I don't want my son coming to me and saying, Hey you! Get me something to eat. That's not happening in my house. You know what I mean? There needs to be some respect there. There needs to be an attitude of reverence for God. And that doesn't demand that we have to say certain words in our prayers in order for them to be heard. But we need to give God honor and glory and respect respect for who He is. There are some amazing incentives. I've gotten off my little hobby horse there. Some amazing incentives for praying God's way. First and foremost, there's the incentive of being able to spend time in the presence of the King of Kings. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Secondly, I get the privilege of showing God my total dependence on Him instead of on myself. Someone wrote this, and I think it's so good. It's better to have a small faith in a big God than a big faith in a small God. We have a big God. Which means, thirdly, then, the other incentive for praying is I get to tap into the unlimited resources of God. All of that comes by faith. Matthew 21, verse 22, And all things you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Think about this for a moment as I close. Ordinary human beings, by faith, have the opportunity to do extraordinary things for God through prayer. On the back of your notes today are some key questions to consider. And a great assignment, by the way. The assignment down at the bottom of that page is to uh, write down prayers that you are praying and then write down the date when God answers those prayers and you'll be able to go back later and look at how God met every need according to His will John W. Peterson was a great songwriter wrote thousands of songs in his lifetime way back in 1957 he wrote a song that had these words, When I was burdened down with care, I knelt with God apart. 
I stretched my hands to him in prayer and touched his loving heart. And then the chorus says, I touched the heart of God in prayer. I lingered in his presence there. I lost my heavy load of care when in prayer I touched the heart of God. What a privilege we have. We're going to close our time this morning in prayer. We haven't done this in a while, but we're going to do it this morning. I want to encourage you to get together in some small groups, three, four, five people. You can meet anywhere in the auditorium or go over in the dining room and just pray. If you're not comfortable praying, you don't have to. This is not a demand. It's an opportunity. Just get together with a few other people and pray. Share some requests. I want to throw that challenge out to you this morning. When you're finished, you can leave or hang around and talk to somebody. But let's spend some time together in prayer. And I want to end our service in prayer. Father, thank You that You care about each person in this room. You love us more than we could imagine. And You are a much more kind of God when it comes to prayer. And again, I pray this morning, and I know there are others here who pray it too. Teach me to pray. Teach me to touch the heart of God in prayer. And see what You will do. Bless us now as we pray together in small groups. And may You get the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.